Hey everybody, welcome to the Everybody Has a Podcast with Scott Asher and J.D. Swilling. Uh, this is episode two. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, thank you. If you listened to episode one, thank you so much for listening and patronizing us and making us feel good about ourselves. And uh, so far, Scott, uh, I haven't received any hate mail. And uh, my wife hasn't made me stop doing this podcast yet either. We did get the, <laughs> we did get the, you should play this podcast for us before you publish it. And we did, and we ended up editing some of it, didn't we? We did, yeah. And my children are yeah, hey. about this too. If your children listen to it, you are winning. Oh, they're not going to listen to it. They're just going to assume that I say a bunch of inappropriate things. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of harsh. I, I shouldn't say inappropriate. I just, uh, maybe the better thing to say is they're going to assume I say things that embarrass them. Oh, yeah. Well, then we'll have to have that. We'll have to have an episode just on embarrassing family moments. But today, what are we talking about today? We're, we got to kind of catch up from where we started. When did we record the first episode? It's been um, two weeks, I think, exactly. Yeah. Even though it published last week, the recording was two weeks exactly. You're right. It was two weeks ago from today is when we recorded. Mm -hmm. So that was April the 2nd. Today's April the 16th. And um, mm -hmm. surely we can get this one uh, posted before an entire week goes by. So what's happened in the world in the last two weeks? A couple big things. School's out forever. Looks school like is out. Is finally correct. It's true. Yeah, for the rest of the school year. That's um, for public schools. Um, that's right. <laughs> private schools are out pocket. also, but <laughs> we are continuing to do lots and lots of work at home. And so... Yeah. Um, in addition to all the other things that mom and dad are continuing to do around the house and the world, we're now having to do a lot more math problems with the kids and that kind of stuff. Yeah. We've been telling our kids to do stuff, but I mean, if they put in an hour a day, that's uh, that's kind of a lot. That's really pushing. It's not like the private schools, not like yours. I mean, sure. Your kids are going to end up smarter, but mine are going to end up with more sleep. So it's, there is that. They're going to end up with more street smarts. Video game smarts, whatever. Same thing, right? Yeah. Um, another sad news. Uh, one of the things we talked about uh, um, on the last episode was uh, the, were the churches that were staying open. And um, unfortunately, one of those churches, I think the one in Virginia that stayed in and held services, that pastor ended up getting sick and passed away. Oh, it's tragic. And uh yeah, it's terrible. And um, this isn't a, I was right, we were right, you were wrong kind of thing. It's more of a, man, use your wisdom. Because when we talked about this, we talked about being wise um, about the health of your congregants. And I mean, these are older pastors that are doing it. A lot of them are older ones in the news. And, you know, but the good news is some people have been being creative. You know, they've had the drive-in Easter thing. Um, there were some tickets that got waived now, so that's good. Um, I don't know if you heard that the tickets ended up. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit of an overreach, in my opinion. Um, definitely. You know, the the people that that had drive-in church, every adult that showed up, the police department or sheriff's department or whatever was handing out tickets, $500 tickets to those folks. Which is crazy, right? Red light tickets aren't $500. Um, speeding tickets aren't $500. So that's pretty crazy. Um, and there's been more than that, more than just church. You hear about like, you know, a, a, a person paddleboarding 
or on a kayak or I think the lady, the, the governor in Michigan, <clears throat> wasn't it Michigan, said like you can't buy seeds. Yeah. And you can't like weird you extra can buy rules. Weed, so this isn't you can't just can't buy a, seed. Right. Um so it's not a it's not necessarily a church thing, but um the overreach is a is a issue that we need to address, I think, as Americans. I don't like the idea that the government can just decide to say, you've got to stay home and you can't do this, but you can do this. But there's been some good governors. Um some go- governors are uh what's the guy that's doing a really good job? Um Devaney or I don't know he's got a name like that and he's coming out and having daily meetings and he's explaining with some scientists like medical people like this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it I think that's the key is when you're going to have a big change like this you have to do a better job of change management you have to explain the benefits and the why of what we're doing and you can't just be arbitrary or be seen to be arbitrary and giving people a $500 ticket when they are isolated in their own car because they drove somewhere to church, that's arbitrary. So yeah. I'm glad that that was changed, but that's that's just overreach. It's nonsense. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's incredibly tragic. Uh, the, the pastor that died in Virginia continued to hold church services and he contracted COVID and passed away from it. And I and I you know was thinking about this, and as tragic as it is, I, I do want to make it clear that I in no way, shape, or form, and I, I would probably say this about you. You can comment for yourself, but I don't think that was God's judgment on him, you know, um, no more do I think that COVID is God's judgment on the world either. But what I do think is, um, I think that this is a tipping point for the church around the world and especially the church in America. And uh, I, th- I think it's a tipping point. And, and I was in a forum yesterday with some other pastors, and one of the ways it was described was that it was a burning bush moment. And Moses, uh, he's out herding the flock on Mount Hebron and comes across the burning bush. And really, he has a choice. Does he, go, does he turn aside or does he just continue herding the flock? And he turns aside, and fortunately, he does so, and he's not the same from that point forward. Uh, his act of obedience, his act of paying attention to what God was wanting to do, he he becomes a different person. And uh, not everything changes in that moment, but you do see a gradual shift and change uh, moving forward. And I think that this is the opportunity that the Lord is inviting us to in this moment. And I'm not saying God caused COVID-19, um, that it, you know that He's the one that's making all these people die. But I do think he's inviting us to participate with something in this moment. And I think it's important for believers in in the American church and for church leaders to lean into, all right, God, uh, we don't want to squander this time. We we truly want to be different on the other side of this than we are right now. Yeah, and um, I think that there are signs that, that is happening and then signs that it isn't like um, we were talking earlier where um, I saw a news article today that said that streaming on average was like eight hours a day of streaming for households in America right now. So there's a lot of TV shows and movies and uh, we might even talk about some movies that we watched recently. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's I'm against that, but um, 
but the the question is you know are we putting any time into um the word and into prayer and and uh, and i know i can do a better job of that personally and, i was specifically thinking of you hand, i know um you know now that i have this outlet with like 10 people that listen to this podcast i need to be better um but uh but there, there are more Bibles being sold. They see the records like, um, like a ton of Bibles are being sold, right? Which is a really good sign. Um, but I don't think sold Bibles has ever been a problem for the United States. It's more about open to Bibles that have been a problem. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, I'm preaching myself here. But are we doing what we could do? Because there's stuff we could stream. Um, there's the Bible Project videos. One of my friends at work asked um, and said, is there anything on the life of Jesus that you recommend? And I'm like go, go do the book of Luke on the Bible project, you know, like five minute videos, um, animated, lively, you get a lot of learning in it as well. Um, and she, she went and, and uh, watched that with her son and said they watched three of them right away. And I'm like, yeah, cause it's great. Yeah. Um, but, but what I find myself doing a lot is flipping on Netflix and trying to find something and <laughs> maybe a half hour of flipping through, like watching trailers and, and so on. And then I settle on something and I don't really like it. So I switch to the next one or whatever. And you end up, you know, next thing you know, social media or, you know, your hours into your day. Um, and uh, nothing's really, you've not developed yourself at all. And, and I'm, I changed the, the pronouns there to you have not developed yourself at all. And you have made, I'd say I've switched that. That was, a, that was really genius of me accidentally doing that. But but yeah, I think we got to be mindful about that. So if this is a burning bush moment, we could we could be a little bit better with our time. Um, you know, and there's some really great easy ways to do that. Bite-sized chunks. So we could we could come out of this really knowledgeable, learning new stuff, being ready to do stuff. Yeah. I was talking to my brother-in-law about some of this. Oh, by the way, you you magically have a pair of headphones in your head all of a sudden. Yeah, sorry. We're still trying to fix the sound as we go. So that's okay. You like them? Right. Yeah. There you go. Um, so my brother-in-law and I were talking about all this last night, and he threw out a statistic to me. I don't know where he got this from, uh, but we talked about something similar to this in our uh, pastor's forum yesterday. And he said that 50% of churches around America right now are growing uh, via online engagement. And uh, I would say that, you know, for, for certainly for our church, that we are having a much larger reach right now than we had if, uh, before all of this happened. You know, we did stream before. We, we did um, live stream our services before. But I will say the quality of our live stream has um, increased quite a bit because we've been forced to actually um, increase the quality or at least I feel that we've been forced that way. And, and that's not a, no one's twisted our arm to do that. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So, so the, the quality has increased, which is great. And this, which is also really good because, you know, we're having more and more people. Uh, we're, I mean, our, our attendance basically has gone up tenfold. Uh, if, if we look at the analytics, if we look at the amount of people who are viewing and who are staying on for quite a bit of a time, I and mean, when we're talking about our, our actual physical congregation is 10% of, of who is actually viewing us online now. Mm -hmm. So now that, that puts us into a mindset and in a mind frame of going, well, who's watching us? This is more than just our people. 
So our, our people are watching us, but also other people who are probably other believers are watching us and they're just hungry for more things or, or maybe they're related to us in some way. You know, maybe it's, you know, clients of my wife or family members of mine and, or just other people that we're networked or connected with and they just want to see what our church is doing. And that's great. So we've got our people, we've got people who are hungry. Then we've got people I think who are just curious. They're just going, all right, what is, how is the church responding in this moment? What's going on? You know, they, they, they may not be Christians. They might be, but they're definitely not in the church. And so they're just kind of curious and they're checking out what church is going, uh, what church is doing and how they're responding. Then I think we've got people who are skeptics who are maybe skeptical, have been skeptical of the church for a long time, but now is their moment to actually kind of creep in and observe because they can do it covertly, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we've got their part of our audience now. And then also I think prodigals, that's the, that's the Bible word for people who, used to be in the church, but have walked away maybe from the Lord. But now they are like being awakened to, oh man, I need to come back. I need to get, I need to get right. I need to come back. Mm -hmm. And so I think our audience is, um, is, is quite larger than it has been since we've just been meeting in physical buildings. And I know for me, I probably haven't done the absolute best job of reframing our services to communicate to all five of those demographics. But I do think I'm, I'm, I have been trying to do a little bit better job of, of widening the, the scope. And I'm going to, as we move forward, I'm going to try to do better of thinking about, we've got these five different audiences that are, that are listening and watching online. Yeah. There's, um, there's a lot less pressure right now for people. It's socially acceptable to, kind of odd at church, so to speak. Like, <clears throat> but if you go there in person, that's hard. I mean, I had a conversation um, with someone and, uh, you know, and he was saying he wanted to go to church and we were talking about church. Uh, but then he's like, well, you know, he had, a, he had a series of questions like, is this welcome there? Is that welcome there? What's it like? What do you have to dress? And you start going down that list and it's not just him, but there's a lot of people that have those questions. Like, showing up to an event, you know, that you don't know really what's going on. Even if you know someone can be daunting, but going online first to see what it's like is easier. Like when, um, when I, uh, when I ended up uh, first coming to Seeds Church before I did, um, I had a couple of months where I was checking churches just to see what there was. I, from the time I had moved to this state, uh, for over 11 years, I was going to the same church from week one all the way till then. Same church. I never visited other churches. And I was curious. And um, for me, it was really easy to go online and just be like, okay, let's go watch one of these services. And, um, you know, I hate to say it because I'm not trying to say we should all be shopping, but truly there is there are cultural differences in terms of what you're looking for in a church that matter. Um, you can have two really great Bible teaching churches um, that are not heretical, that are good, that people love each other, and they could be completely different. And maybe you fit in one and maybe you don't fit in another. And going online allowed me to quickly rule in places that I wanted to visit live and rule out places that I probably wouldn't fit well in, you know. Um, <clears throat> 
and and I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think one of the benefits of having a lot of denominations is that it matches the fact that there are a lot of different people and different people have different preferences. And it's, again, I'm not saying mold the church for ourselves, but leaders and pastors are going to bring a culture and that culture is going to match that, whether it's a corporate culture or a church culture or something else, um, people that are drawn to that specific culture are going to fit in there. And, um, and then they're going to feel more welcome if it matches. So if I go to a church that I can wear shorts and flip-flops and make occasional sarcastic comments and the pastor doesn't want to kick me out, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable there. If, but if I walk into a place and everyone's got suits on, you know, um, I might love the people there. They might love me, but you know, is that really the reason? I mean, like maybe that's, maybe that's just not for me. Maybe I'm just not as solemn as that, or I'm not as wild as that or whatever. So I think this is a low pressure way for people to get their, get their church and get to know what the church is and get to know the people in the church. And, uh, so I'm, it's kind of good in, in that way. I think it's good in that way. And I, I don't know what's going to end up happening afterwards, but I think it's good that people get to try this stuff out. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that moving forward, that um, even after everything goes back to normal, which there's not going to be such of a thing, that I think that many churches um, are going to probably do more than they've done before online with their online presence. And meaning more than just, you know, have a website, you know, they're probably going to be more engaged um, with social media. They're probably going to be more engaged on um, with their live streaming. One of the things that we're trying to figure out right now is, you know, is how to stream on multiple platforms as well, not just Facebook Live. And I know that we can make it happen. It's just a matter of time of, of you know, getting those dots connected. It's just one of those little minor things that, you know, that we're working towards so that we can reach wider audiences, not so that we can go, Hey, everybody, look how many views that we had. I don't, that's, it's not about a numbers game, but what we do know is that everyone that views is a, is a soul. That's a human being. It's someone that was created in the image and likeness of God. And we're not just assuming that because they're created in God's image, that they are in relationship with their creator. And so we, it is important for us, you know, if we're having a, a larger reach, it's important for us to uh, do what we can to present the gospel well and give people opportunities to turn toward the Lord. So we're going to do, we're going to continue to do our best to do that. Again, this is not a church podcast, but we're talking about church no. stuff. I had challenged um, JD that uh, we should talk about, like three things that we don't think are going to go back to normal after this is over. And uh, we did not um, talk about it ahead of time because I want to be surprised by what he says and, um, and, and just kind of see where it goes because um, we have a lot in common, but I, I think that, you know, there's some interesting differences there. So I can go first with the first one. We can rotate back and forth if you like. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think won't go back to normal is I think more people are going to work from home after this. And, um, you stole one of mine. Well, <laughs> well, like, like we can it talk was, about the same. like it was a big surprise. You're like, but my no. surprise is also that, um, yeah. And I, uh, and the reason for that is because, um, 
many businesses, not everybody can work from home. And I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden our whole economy will be us living in pods like the matrix or something. Okay. But, um, you, you know, but we are going to, we're seeing corporations find ways to get people into their homes working and productive um, where you might not have thought that that was possible. Even a few months ago, you might not have thought that that was possible. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's, it's going. And for me personally, it took about, a, it took, you know, two or three weeks before we stride, but now we're kind of almost back to business as usual in terms of how things are going. And I just don't see why a business would say, oh, okay, good. Um, let's go ahead and bring everybody that we sent home to great expense. We set up their computers. We set up whatever they needed. Let's bring them back into this massive building that we have to pay utilities, rent, taxes on, electricity, um, people to watch them. And then you've got all of the things that are going to go wrong there. You're going to have, um, you know, whatever might go wrong in terms of HR. You might have sickness issues. You might have people getting there late. All those things going to go away, well, or are mitigated, um, you know, better if, if you're able to work from home and you can save money. And so I just think that um, businesses are smart. Their job is uh, to make money and, and become more efficient. And I just think that there's some efficiencies and some money savings for people working from home. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, to piggyback on top of that, I think that unfortunately we're going to find out that um, and maybe I'm stealing this from you that as we send more people home to work, we're going to find that we might be have overstaffed in some areas. So I think some people are going to lose their jobs um, not because of, of um, there's not money to pay them, but just simply because they're not as necessary as maybe we thought that they were because uh you know, we've learned uh, how to use technology differently and new systems have been developed. You know, they say that necessity is the mother of invention, right? And so here we are in this uh, moment in history where there's a lot of necessity and there are people, very smart people, that are working on systems and technology and figuring out how to, to get things done. And I think some people are going to be without work. And I think that's a horrible forecast. I'm not, I don't want that to happen. I don't want people to lose their jobs, but I think it's important for us to just be not naive about it. Yeah. Well, we had a, <clears throat> we had a coming disruption anyways with machine learning and artificial intelligence and um, automation. I mean, you already see every, every place that you can go um, has a kiosk. You can go order food, you can go pick it up yourself. Um, and uh, I heard something, man, I don't want to quote it wrong, but it was, it was something like $11,000 and a second additional income for Amazon, some crazy high number like that, because everyone's at home. So everyone's ordering everything, right? And so you're starting to see people where systems and 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 machines and and algorithms and artificial intelligence we're going to take over a lot of these jobs anyways and I, I think i played this game with you before like think of a job that artificial intelligence can't do and uh, it's really difficult to figure out what jobs would be safe in a world like that and and in this world we're kind of fast forwarding the adoption of many of these efficiencies and automations 
And, um, and so I kind of agree with you, but the good news is that every other time in America, in American and and in the world history where we've had some really disruptive technology come in, um, humans have repositioned themselves. So when the industrial revolution came along, we figured out new jobs. There were new things that humans could do. And so I think that there will be, I'm not sure what those are right now, but if we did have a big disruption where maybe we had too many people, maybe, uh, you know, efficiencies and automation can solve some of these things, um, I think we'll be creative. I think we'll find new ways to do it. So I don't think this means that people will be out of work indefinitely. I think that um, what it means is that um, we're going to see really creative people find new ways to do it. And, and so I think we'll just have different kinds of jobs, <clears throat> hopefully. Yeah, I think so too. I think that, um, that that's for certain. Uh, I think it's important for people to um, be willing to learn new skills also. I think those who, who aren't willing to learn new skills are going to be hurting unfortunately or unable because <clears throat> uh i'm sorry I, keep, I still got allergies or something not the covid uh, but uh not the corona but um some people aren't capable and uh you know um there there are people that i know that are that are very smart people okay but some things just escape them technology is not something that they really get and um that's true you know and and so we're going to have to find ways to help make things easier. And, and I love that this is forcing people, this, this situation. And I, I don't love anything about Corona. I'm trying to find silver lining here. But <clears throat> I love that people that weren't necessarily thinking, I've got to find new ways of connecting. I've got to find new ways of doing things online. But now they are. And um, another people are being really helpful to them. The ones that aren't getting it are getting it. Like I, I got my grandma um, an Echo Show, um, one of the bigger screen ones. And now about once a week, we do a video call. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and she's, she's almost 90 years old. And uh, setting it up was a pain. <laughs> Sorry, grandma. But you know what? She got done with that call with me and she went and figured it out on her own. I, I did not think she'd be able to do that, but she did. She logged in, she got it up and running and she called me back like, you know, a little bit later and said, Hey, I've got it working. And I was like, how did you get it working? Cause uh, you know, unfortunately I'm the most patient over the phone, technical support person. <laughs> I was like, push the button. Anyways. Um, good job, GG. She did. Yeah, yeah. Good job. And, um, and now we've had a couple of different video calls where she's sitting there talking to us. And this is something that, you know, if she wasn't in the situation that she's in right now to be forced to do that, you know, she'd be like, well, I'm just going to fly out there and visit you in May anyway. So what's the point of the video? But now it's like, no, let's get this set up. It's good. So, so if I used your first one, do you have a second one? You can go first so you can steal my thunder. No, no, no. It's okay. We can just keep bouncing back and forth. I, um, I think one of the things, and this is, I've already noticed this and this, again, this goes right along with what you're just saying is that more people are going to be using technology um, in newer ways that, that may have already, the technology may have existed already, but they had not seen the need for it. And so I'll give you an example. My entire family or my side of the family, I should say, is um, all active on Marco Polo right now. So even like my parents, my mom is on Marco Polo. Um, my cousin who 
I don't know. Um, I just don't see her as a Marco Polo person before this, but we have just like a little family group on Marco Polo. And so if you don't know what that is, it's a, it's an app. It's a video uh, chatting or messaging app. So um, anyway, I think, I think people are going to utilize technologies that, that may have even already existed, but they didn't see the need for. And so I think that's going to drive, um, I think that's going to drive more technology to be created and also think it's going to and going to drive the economy a little bit. Well, I was going to say, I agree with you because while we have some areas of the economy shut down, um, that Amazon thing I told you about, it is 11,000 additional sales per second. That's how much Amazon is selling more than they were before. And their initial thing was hiring a hundred thousand people. Now I heard they were going to hire 75,000 more. And so there are areas of the economy that are really pushing this technology. And what is it about that? Like, um, Many people I know had taken the first step of doing their orders for groceries ahead of time and then driving and picking it up, saving the time of, of going through every aisle to pick it up. Did I order the right things that I remember stuff? You know, there's a, there's a, a time cost as well as a cost of going into the grocery store. So they were used to, we, many people I know have gotten used to doing that. However, uh, now that it's online, Think of how quickly we've gone from, you know, even a year ago, how rare was it to put your order in online ahead of time? And now, you know, it's, it's no longer even rare to get your order delivered to you. You know, so you have Kroger and Publix and Walmart and Amazon delivering groceries now, you know, and um, in food delivery in our area, food delivery is pretty terrible. Some places, New York, California, things like that, you can get a lot of things delivered here where I live, especially, I, I can't even get Chipotle delivered here, which is a travesty. And it's tragic. Um, it is. But if I go to like DoorDash or um, Uber Eats or something, these companies are doing it. And, um, and, you know, there was a lot of like growing pains. Like you'd see those horror videos of people like the driver is getting into your French fries and you're like, no, I don't want that. Yesterday we had pizza delivered here with a sealed sticker on the top of the box. And so there's finding ways to be creative to adopt these new technologies where you have everyone is getting more comfortable with adopting the technology. So I agree with you. Um, I can see that happening. Um, and other churches I know are using Marco Polo. Our church is using Zoom for youth group. Um, so there's all these different kinds of communication um, options that I, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty up on technology, but I had not heard of Zoom because um, I use a different one for work and I had not heard of Marco Polo and now everybody knows them, you know? And so, um, yeah, I agree with you on that hundred percent. Well, you brought up another one of the things that I was going to uh, mention on um, things that are going to change. Amy told me your list ahead of time. I'm just yeah. with you. So, uh, <laughs> it's uh, and, and I think that's uh, has to do with our grocery shopping. I've just kind of been noticing out of the few times that I've gone in, to the stores and this is this is kind of interesting you know everything's supposed to be shut down except the essential things and i know that like there's far more essential things than we thought and we think that oh really why why is a marijuana dispensary an essential business but you can't go and buy seeds for your garden why is that i don't understand that that's and that's not in the state <clears throat> that's in other places because uh, we don't have legalized marijuana just yet, and uh, and I hope that we don't. I, I don't think that's a, a wise thing. So that's a little sidebar. But um, 
I have noticed that when I have gone out two different places, um, Sam's Club and Kroger, I'll pull into the parking lot and there is a good amount of cars in the parking lot, like kind of the regular amount of cars in the parking lot during that time of day that you would normally have seen before the quarantine started. So it was kind of a little bit curious of like, wait, wait a second. I thought everybody's supposed to be home. Well, a couple of different things. The grocery store, Sam's Club, they're some of the only things that are, are open. And I think some people are just like there because they can be. <laughs> um, but I also go into the stores and I look around. I'm going, wait a second. I don't see the amount of people inside of the store that are reflected by the amount of cars that are in the parking lot. What's that all about? And I was mentioning this to a friend of mine and he gave me a little bit of insider information that he had. And he said that these stores uh, have the employees that would normally be working, you know, the second and third shift. They're bringing them in and and there is still part of a second shift, but most of the stores that I know of are closing around seven o'clock now. I mean, if you don't have it by 7 p.m., good luck. You're not going to get it until 8 o'clock tomorrow morning or later. I think I went into Kroger yesterday, and I saw that they are opening maybe at 10 a.m. Something, if I recall correctly, at least the Kroger that's close to my house, it's opening at 10 a.m. and closing at 7 p.m. So, um, so they're having workers there during the day that normally wouldn't be. And, but they're not all out on the floor. Some of them are in the back and they're working and they're doing things. So that's interesting. But I, but I also see uh, what got me started off on all this is that I see that the way that we buy our everyday goods, such as groceries and other dry products, um, I think that's going to change a lot. Um, I see that the, the grocery industry is probably going to use this as a leverage point to move the culture and to move the way that we do things intentionally. Whereas they, they, we're probably waiting on the consumers to catch up with what they wanted to do. Now they are in the position to really force us to do what they want us to do. Well, yeah, because um, self-service options and uh, things like that are significantly less expensive for the, for whatever industry you're working on. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, that's why Amazon has so many robots and they were talking about having drone delivery things like that, because you can, you can put something in, I'm doing all the work. Um, you know, I'm putting it in the computer, I'm shopping, I'm the one buying it, I'm the one paying for it. And then if, if that can be done automatically, you don't need a cashier, you don't need, you know, you, oh, yeah. Amazon, for instance, in their warehouse, you know, their warehouse is of robots, they have a lot of people too. So I'm not saying they don't, but I believe that the goal to go for hundred percent automation and um, self-service is a step to get there. So I, I can agree with you on that. <clears throat> I also think that the, as we get used to this over the months of limited hours of things, um, we might not see an immediate expansion back to 11 o'clock at night closing times for some things, you know, um, because uh, if, if customer service, for instance, at wherever you bank and wherever you have your mobile phone or wherever you have your bills, if they're all closing at six or seven and Home Depot's closing at six and the, the Kroger's closing at seven and you're going to get used to that after a while, um, you might see it expand a little bit, but I wonder how much businesses are going to be excited about re-expanding because yeah. every hour, 
is incredibly expensive to run. And there are some hours that, um, you know, I can imagine those hours are not lucrative hours, you know, and they're just open for the few customers so that they, they have that available. But um, there's a certain one, point. They, they one business that does need to go back to 24 seven service is Waffle House. <laughs> I can see, I can see those kinds of places going later. Um, but, but there's, even now there's some restaurants where they're not open for breakfast. They're only open for lunch or, um, they start opening in the afternoon. They're only open for dinner. And that's because you might get some customers during that time, but it doesn't justify the expense of having it open and paying all the employees. And I can see, um, a lot of businesses are going to have that. They're going to realize that, you know, and I could, I could do this without being open those hours. So why should I be open those hours? Maybe yeah. I should only be open a limited amount of hours, which goes back to your, do we really need this many employees thing? Unfortunately. Yeah. So is there, is there another thing on your list? There's one more that I'm hoping for. Um, Cause I, I was, I've been talking to a couple people in, in, uh, in it, I think it's becoming more and more clear that, that, excuse me for that. I dropped my phone. Um, public school is a lot about daycare, a lot more about daycare than maybe even about education. And um, I'm not saying public schools aren't trying to educate, I'm not trying to disparage anything, but the fact of the matter is um, we don't need to send our kids to school for eight hours a day. No. They don't need to get up at six in the morning or five in the morning so that they can get on the bus, so they can get to the school, so that they can spend a lot of the day and, um, you know, and I'm not an expert, but I was a, a substitute teacher. I was a summer school teacher and I was for a short period of time, a private school junior high teacher. Um, I saw what happens in a lot of classes. There is, there's a lot of filler time, unfortunately, you know? And so it's not like you're actually learning that whole period of time. No. And so, um, in one teacher I overheard talking about um, elementary schools closing for the rest of the year here in Tennessee. And they're like, well, the good news is we've already finished all of the class stuff that we were required to teach for the whole year. And now we've just spending the last couple of months doing, um, doing like test prep for state testing. And, um, and you know, and I can understand why state testing is important, but if you could finish everything in two thirds of the year, why are you open for three thirds of the year, so to speak, right? It's just an efficiency thing. And, and I feel like a lot of it is to do with just watching the kids, but, um, and but money I, from the government. Yeah. Government I mean, funding. Even, right. Funding. But that's, again, yeah. that's funding to justify keeping the store open for longer. Kind of, it's almost the same right. conversation, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I do not mean to be offensive to any teachers, but I am aware that like in every job, there are generally more positions open than there are highly skilled expert people you want in those positions. Um, and so there are some people like you've seen the documentaries where there are some teachers that just, just have no business being teachers anymore. And if we could do it more efficiently, yeah. if we could do it more efficiently, um, I'd like to personally, I'd like to see virtual reality classrooms, um, and, and things like that, where you can go to class in virtual reality, or you can do it online at your own pace. Self-directed learning is the kind of learning that kids actually keep and adults too. If I want to go there and do the learning, I'm going to learn what I need to learn. If you force me to sit through a class and I know it's over in 45 minutes anyways, before I go to the next one, I don't have to learn. I'm just, I'm a captive, you know? So there's, 
there's some stuff that I'd like to see there. I'd like to see some more efficiencies in terms of teaching. If it doesn't take that long, don't make our kids get up so early. If it doesn't take that long, don't make our kids go to school that long. Um, if it's just daycare, then find some alternatives to that. Um, there are other alternatives. There's like the old school stuff, like Boys and Girls Club, YMCA, things like that, where we can do daycare where the kids can run around. Because putting boys in a classroom setting, especially elementary school, putting little boys in those classrooms and saying, sit still for the next six hours is not beneficial to them or to the no. classroom. They're just not made to do that. And I know some girls are not either. So I'm talking about in general terms, but it's just not a natural way of learning for them. It's not a natural way of learning, I think, for any of the kids. And you see a lot of that where, um, you know, it's just not good for them. Um, and then they, they get to a point in, where they go to recess, um, like, they, where they have PE a couple times a week. It's not even like you get PE every day. So there's no time to burn off that energy to spend time with the friends and things like that. So I would, I would like to see schools change and I would like to see it. I'd like to see the time right sized. I'd like to see better use of technology um, and, uh, and where possible and where appropriate. I'd like to see things like virtual reality um, where we don't have to have uh, the kids going to school all, all day long. I've been, uh, I would be very interested if there are any educators that are listening to this right now, that if they had opinions about uh, things that should or shouldn't change, I would love to hear from them. So, hey, if you're listening right now uh, and you've got, you know, opinions and maybe you're an educator, maybe you're a former educator, maybe you just are opinionated. <laughs> like those people. We, we're opinionated. Yeah. Uh, every human being is, whether they say so or not. Everyone has opinions. Uh, leave us a comment. I would be interested to hear uh, what your ideas are of, you know, maybe how the system should change moving forward. I think it's very interesting. And I, I have kind of, in, in some ways, it's, you know, it, in some ways I'm, you know, tired of the kids being around the house so much. Some, sometimes. Sometimes. For sure. But, but I will say this in, in other ways, I've loved having the kids around the house so much. Yeah. Um, I have, I think that my relationship with my kids, uh, from my wife and I, I think it's, uh, growing. I think that, uh, it's not just, you know, I think our friendship with them is growing and especially that our two older ones, you know, we've got two teenagers, one's 17, one's 15. And so, yes, we're still mom and dad, but they're in that transitional phase of life where they are becoming an adult. And so we're, we're giving them you know, we're treating them more like an adult. And so everything's not so rigid. And so like, you know, you know, this way or the highway, you know, they're, you're finding more liberties, finding more freedoms and we're allowing them to make mistakes uh, on, on some levels and some levels that we're not like, no, you have to do it this way. Um, there, you know, and if you don't, there's a consequence for that, not just at home, but there's a consequence in real life. And that's why you need to do it my way. But uh, so some ways I'm tired of them being at home so much simply probably because, you know, I, I'm a little bit more of an introvert. I like having time by myself. That's oftentimes why I stay up a little bit later at night after everyone has gone to bed and which I can't do that anymore because everybody is staying up later in the house. <laughs> it's never good. <going laughs> so if I do that, it's like I'm staying up till like three o'clock in the morning, not literally, but you know, I'm losing sleep if I, if I stay up later than everyone else goes to bed. So we're all going to bed later. We're all getting up later, but we're all getting our work done. 
as right. well. And we're enjoying one another. We're playing board games together. We're uh, having a great time. I, you know, like I said, sometimes I wish they would just get out of the house so that my wife and I could just make it on the couch. Okay. So <laughs> you're not going to hear me argue. Yeah. Right. I, I agree. If, if there was a way for them to still play with their friends in the neighborhood every day, um, say so wake up, you know, whenever they've had enough sleep, they do some chores, they do some schoolwork, uh, and then they play with their friends and then they hang out with us and we watch a show together or something. I, I actually think this is great. I've actually had it in my mind. Like <clears throat> if this is what, um, homeschooling could be like, could they do their school in a short period of time and still get to hang out with their friends when they get home from school or whatever? This would actually not be so bad um, because um, I do like the fact that they can sleep in. A lot of times the worst part of the day is trying to get everybody up in time for school, yeah. you know, total pain. And then they're tired the whole day. So they get home from school and they're annoyed. And then we have to be on them about their homework. And we don't always know a hundred percent what they're learning or whether they're learning or what they're supposed to do. And there's a disconnection there. So and, I agree and, with you. And I, and I think this also kind of um, joins this conversation of homework. You mentioned homework. I mean, everything's homework right now. Thank God. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the things I despise is my children being at school for as long as they are from eight o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon and then coming home with two hours or more of homework. I think it's absolutely absurd. And I think it's crazy. And I don't care what teacher or, or what administrator from my kid's school is learning is hearing this right now. OK, I'm a little passionate about this. But I think it's crazy that they don't coordinate together a little bit better on testing. And, uh, and I, I just think it's crazy that uh, my, my child is being sent home with an hour of schoolwork in this class, an hour of schoolwork in this class, an hour of homework um, in this class, all on the same day. And so I do, I, I'm liking this system of them getting it done at home a little bit better. And, you know, and it's, it's been a little bit of, it's been a little rough and rocky, uh, not just for my kids, but I've had conversations with other parents as well who, you know, this is, this is a new system that we're navigating and we need to give grace to our educators right now. And the, and the educators need to give grace to our kids and to our parents right now as we're figuring all of this out. Yeah. But you're, you know, if you asked, would you be okay as an, an adult worker to wake up early in the morning and then work for 12 hours. Um, would you be, would, is that what you want? I'm not saying that some of us don't have to do that. And there are days where you have to, but <clears throat> if that was your every single day, would you like that job? And yet we're asking our kids to do that sometimes. And they're not as equipped as us, you know, to be able to handle it. And so you get them up at early in the morning, they go to school all day and then they've got a lot of homework afterwards. And, um, and that's, their equivalent of work and it's not great. So I agree. I, I, I would like to see it. They can do it. Um, since Maggie homeschooled this year, um, this, uh, since Christmas, she does everything online on her own time. She only puts in a couple hours of work and that's it. That's the whole day. And, and if she's not careful, she's going to finish her senior year in like a couple months. And I'm like, that's all you have to know. That's all of the classes. And yeah, when you boil it right down, that's all they got to know. So there's a lot of stuff happening in school 
And I just wonder why they can't have that homework done at the school as well or something. It just seems like too much time is being asked of these kids. And uh, I don't know about your kids, but my kids get real grumpy when they come home from school. They've been waiting for freedom all day. And now you're going to go sit at the table and do homework for an hour. They're not excited yeah. about that. One of the things I'd like to see uh, schools do a better job of, and, and I'm not and I'm not picking on my kids' schools uh, right now because I think they're doing a decent job at this. Um, not to say that they couldn't do better, but I would like to see schools in general in the United States uh, start teaching our kids how to critically think. <laughs> and I know that you and I have been in some situations where we've talked about this already, but yeah. um, I, I think that we are trying to do the job of like, Let's teach our kids to pass a test, mm-hmm. a written test. And I think that's, that's not really how the world works. That's not how you get ahead in the world, I should say. The way that you get ahead in the world, the most successful people are ones who are able to problem solve and critically think and think outside the box. And I think that we have, and I'm not just picking on education. I'm not just picking on the education sector and schools. And uh, I'm also... I mean, parents have a huge responsibility when it comes to this as well. Um, as a matter of fact, parents have the number one responsibility when it comes to this because they're your kids. And so we have to, as parents, teach our kids to not just think of in this linear way of like, do this and then this and then this and then this, because sometimes that's not the quickest way from point A to point B or the best way or the or the the most profitable way. And so I think it's incredibly important for us to teach our kids uh critical thinking skills. And I think um you know again my my kids schools I think they're doing an okay job at that. Um again they probably there could be some improvement, but I think a lot of schools uh are not doing a great job of that. And and that's probably because of the the daycare element that we've talked about. Uh we're just, you know, there's a lot of filler stuff and I'm going, man, um, if we would be less concerned about uh, some of these things that we're teaching our kids, I'm not saying that algebra is not important. I'm not saying that geometry is not important. I'm not saying that calculus doesn't have its place, but I'm not say- but I, I will say this, that not for every student, those, all of those things aren't necessary, but what is necessary for every student is critical thinking skills. Yeah. Well, there, there was a book I read um, years ago and this one line, I can't even remember the name of the book, but this one line stuck with me and it was, it was basically something like um, education shouldn't be necessarily about spitting out the right answers. Right. Education should be more about um, having the right questions. And, and for me, what that is, is like, if you can learn to ask the right questions in a situation, you can find the answers. We have every answer to man on the internet. The question is, do you know how to get to it? And so, um, some of the stuff we are still stuck in is memorize this, memorize this, memorize this, which, you know, there are some things we should memorize, but if we don't understand how to index that information or how, what to do that information, we're just filling our brains up with stuff that we don't know. It's like throwing a bunch of files together in a pile. We need a system where you can say, now, what do we do with this? You know, there's that second part. And I'm not, and I think teachers are trying to do that. And I think that many teachers are successful in doing that, but I don't think necessarily when we're teaching to a test that the goal is ultimately to say, are we teaching our kids how to think instead? Are we teaching our kids 
are we making sure our kids are are getting a certain um, score on the on the test and so on and that's and that's really just about regurgitating right regurgitating yeah. information so yeah i agree with you i would like to see more creative thinking i know we talked about that we can talk about it more another day too but i'd like to see people understand basic statistics of like people you know variations and 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 how to read um, that kind of information i'd like people to understand logical fallacies a little bit better um you know because we we do the same thing everything around us and it's not it's not just TikTok people not knowing how to spell two and two there there and there and so on you know it's um it's it's like oh you know there's x amount of this happening well that's the same as this and you're like wait that doesn't even make any sense you know and you see these weird correlations being put out all the time and it affects our news everything one of the last things I want to talk about that, um, that I think is going to change. You gave your three and I kind of gave some, I don't know if I gave three yeah, or I'll not here or there, but one of the things I think is going to change is entertainment and specifically uh, the movie industry. And so what we've seen uh, through all of this quarantine are movies that were released in theaters. Uh, they were in the theaters for a week or two and then boom, they're now immediately available to rent, uh, to stream, whether whatever platform that you're on, whether it's, you know, Vudu or iTunes, uh, Amazon Prime, whatever. And I'm sure there's others as well. But I think we're going to see more of that. I think that going to the – and I hope this. I hope that movie theaters still exist. I do think some of them are going to close. I don't think we're going to see as many of those as, um, that, are, that exist now. Um, and, and again, that's a sad thing because that means, you know, loss of jobs in some way, but, uh, I do think, um, that we're going to see a lot more movies streaming at home sooner. And I think we've already seen that trend before now because we've seen Netflix movies that have just movies that have released directly to Netflix movies that have released directly to Amazon prime. We've seen really good movies and quality uh, television shows. When I say quality, I don't mean like the content as, you know, like family friendly. I mean like the quality of the production, the production right. quality is really high, uh, on all these platforms. Now they've had their own shows that they've produced. Uh, Jamie and I have watched a show on, uh, on our Apple TV called the servant. And it's not a show for everybody. I'm not recommending everyone go out and watch that. But what I'm saying is that the quality of that show is very high quality. And it's not a network show. It's not on CBS or NBC or ABC or Fox. Um, it's as, as high quality of a show that you might see on HBO, uh, which you know HBO has been, been producing really high quality shows for years and years and years. But now we've got all these other companies that are catching up, Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, and now, now Apple. And, and so I think that we're going to see less activity in movie theaters and we're going to see more of that stuff at home. Now, I love going to the movies. I absolutely love it, but it's becoming more and more expensive. It's becoming more and more elaborate. I like the new amenities. You know, I, I don't really care for the full service dine-in stuff, or at least the one experience that I had at an AMC. Uh, I, I don't have anything against AMC, but the one AMC experience where I went and I, I paid for my entire family to have a meal inside the theater that was a um, travesty. I mean, it was an absolute train wreck and it was incredibly expensive. 
And I said to myself, not doing that ever again. We will just go to the movie and get our regular soda and popcorn and candy. Uh, but we're not, we're not doing like the, you know, $30 per person to get our meal delivered to us and have it dumped in the floor by the server uh, in the, in the, in the complete dark. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a mess literally literally, and, yeah. and figuratively both. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, <clears throat> and you know, I've been going digital for a, a while now. Most of my movies and entertainment is digital. Um, and I haven't had cable for, I don't know, probably close to a decade. And, uh, and, and so I, I can just, I can see that And and you have these companies like Disney plus and Hulu and, um, Netflix and Amazon that are outspending their competitors, you know, uh, in the bidding wards for, for where something's going to show up. And, and you did have it a little bit, but, um, especially mediocre movies. I'm not really sure. I'm not familiar with the, the revenue. That's one of the things I'm curious about, you know, cause you had some of these movies that came out that, you know, let's say it would have made a hundred million at the theater. How much did it make, uh, go in digital, you know, like the trolls world tour, uh, that would have clearly made 150, 200 million in the U S and it would have made a lot more than that everywhere else. Right. <clears throat> so how much did it make by going digital for 20 bucks a rental, you know, and, and was it the same, um, without the overhead and stuff? Cause I know I, if I understand correctly, the theater gets a pretty good sized cut of every ticket. And so when you hear they've, they've sold a hundred million dollars in, in tickets, my understanding is, is that that doesn't mean anything when it comes to how much the they've actually earned, or maybe I'm misunderstanding it and that is their cut. I don't know, but, um, Oh, I hit the springs again. Look at that. That's what I get for moving my hands around. Um, so I, I'm interested to see, but I can agree with you that I, we already saw theaters kind of go into a premium format with the reclining chairs and less seating. Um, and I think probably you can see more of that and it'll become more of a, more of a, a high end thing rather than a go there all the time kind of thing where you get packed into a little theater, um, you know, more of like a first class flight versus coach flight kind of thing. So I can see that. And I, and I just don't see them needing to have, uh, 20 theaters. Some movies, I think you're going to still want to see them on a big screen. Oh, certainly um, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you almost kind of got to because, um, <clears throat> you know, frankly, some of the digital effects don't look that good on high definition televisions, but they look great on a big projector, you know, yeah. in a theater. And, uh, and so in so, the surround sound, even if you've got a really great surround sound at your house, not going to be the same, but um, so, but that's interesting. I, I, I'm interested to see the financial aspects as that starts to come out. Cause if they make more money that way, um, without as much of the middleman, so to speak, um, I can see a lot of films that, you know, that we used to deride as going straight to disc or something. I could see them going straight to digital. Okay. So speaking of movies, um, we watched a movie recently and I know that you watched it as well called dark water or dark waters or something like that. Yeah. It was dark the waters. story of this, uh, this, this attorney, uh, who worked with chemical companies yeah. and he got turned on to a case, uh, against DuPont. It's a true story. Um, Mark Ruffalo is the one who stars in it. Uh, he does not play the Hulk, but he plays an attorney and, uh, it's a true story. It's quite a remarkable story. And at the end of that, 
movie, I was like, I want to find everything in my house that has any kind of Teflon coating and I want to throw it out and get rid of it. Yeah. But you can't really burn anything with Teflon because uh, it's actually indestructible. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, that's a great movie. Uh, if, if you like serious movies, um, which, I, which I do from time to time. Like uh, this decade's it, Aaron Brockovich. But another movie I know that both of us have seen, you saw it before I did, but I recently saw it this week uh, with mm-hmm. my family, is The Peanut Butter Falcon with Shia LaBeouf. And um, it's a very different movie. It's very interesting. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. I don't think it's a movie for everybody. I don't think it's a movie that everybody will enjoy. It's PG-13, and it definitely is PG-13. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's some, a little bit of language in it. And um, the whole premise of the movie is not something that, you know, like little kids would enjoy or get into. We're going to do spoiler alert on this one. Okay. Spoilers. Spoilers. So if you've not seen the movie, the peanut butter Falcon with Shia LaBeouf and you want to, um, we're going to talk about it right now and we're going to give you the opportunity to leave the podcast. And if you are, we hope that you join us next time. Thanks for listening this far. Um, they already took the opportunity to leave the podcast. No <laughs> one's still so. listening at this point. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they're like, I left when you started yelling at educators. In this movie, there's like these two stories, these two storylines, these two characters that converge, and one of them is a is a kid who's in his looks to be like he's you know what in his early to mid twenties. He's a Down syndrome kid. He's a ward of the state. He's living in a um, like a state funded nursing home of some kind. And it's just really not a good situation. He's surrounded by, you know, elderly people only. He doesn't have anybody that he really personally, you know, kind of connects with. He's, he's young, he's adventurous. He wants to get out. He wants to go find this wrestling school that exists, you know, in the, in the state low. I think this is takes a place. It starts in Virginia and then it kind of just moves down the coast a little bit into uh, North Carolina and the, the aim is for Shia LaBeouf, he is in trouble with the local fishermen, which he was part of that community. And, you know, this is a rough dude. This is a rough guy. And um, he ends up getting into it with a, with a guy who has all these crab traps and he's stealing crabs from him in his traps. Then he sets his crab traps on fire mm-hmm. and, uh, and then he's, he's on the lamb, you know, he's on the run. And he's trying to get down to Florida and he runs into this kid who escaped from the nursing home. And this kid is trying to make it down to North Carolina to this, this wrestling school. And it's just a remarkable kind of story. Remarkable to me. It's just very interesting. I don't know who came up with the idea or the concept. It was very, very different. And I like it. I think that everybody did a pretty good job in the, in the film. Uh, it seemed like they employed um, different kind of actors in the movie, very similar to like Napoleon Dynamite. You know, like you had some actors in the movie and you're like, those just look like normal, regular people, not like Hollywood actors. Mm-hmm. But they, but it kind of fits the the vibe of the movie, right? And so if it right. seems it seems good, it seems right. You and I were kind of just barely chatting about it and you said to me that you hated the ending. Yeah, I did. So this is what surprised me a little bit because I didn't hate it. I really enjoyed the, 
the almost redemptive quality of the relationship between Shia LaBeouf and um, the young man who has Down syndrome. And he, he really has Down syndrome, right. which is yes. excellent that he's in this film. Um, I'm very proud of him. Um, in their relationship, because um, Shia loses a brother, and that's um, kind of how, it, if I remember correctly, that's how it sets everything in part. He loses his brother, and then they lose their license, and then the other people step in and take the license for the the fishing. And then Shia's like, no, that's still my brother's land, or my brother's area, or something like that. Okay? Yeah, territory. But, so he's, he's lost a fa- his family. And then he kind of finds his family with this um, young man. And those scenes are outstanding when they're, you know, when they're at the, on the beach and they're, you know, and the, the kid is learning and he's kind of learning and, and they're kind of getting along. And um, there's a lot of development there, but there is a part where I think it totally jumps the shark and that's the wrestling match. Um, so they get to the wrestling match. Um, the school is is closed. Um, this is where the spoilers are. It's VHS tapes from like 20 years ago and the guy's yeah. a has been. And anyway, so, but they get to an actual outdoor rink where a bunch of rednecks are, are playing WWE and, um, but they're not just playing like, Oh, they're hurting each other. It's they're hurting each other. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're playing it for real. And, uh, the down syndrome kid goes in there and, and someone starts beating him up. It's pretty terrible. Right. But then there gets a point where he like picks him up, spins him around over his head and chucks him out of the ring. And I'm just like, oh, and it looks so fake. And it looks like it's a dream sequence. And I'm just like, what is this nonsense? But it was supposed to be that way. Yeah, I'm not saying that the director and the producers didn't do what they wanted to do. I'm saying they didn't do what I wanted them to do. Okay. <laughs> so, so what would you have done different there? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know, but I didn't like that. Like there could have you know, maybe he gets beat up and that's the rest of that story, you know, and then they have to kind of go on from there. Or maybe uh, Shia LaBeouf's character steps in and saves him and that's how he gets hurt. Or I don't know. I don't have to rewrite it to say I didn't like what someone else wrote. But um, but I, I didn't like that part. I felt like it goes fantasy on that. And then right after that, um, it ends with Shia LaBeouf getting hit over the head, going to the hospital. They break him out of the hospital. So he's either... Number one, I think he's dying and they're driving him down there. Some people think he was, you know, healthy and they're driving down there. And so either way, that part didn't bother me so much. It was really that wrestling match. And then, okay. And then, and then you get after that and you're kind of like, why don't you tell us which way it goes? That's, you know, good. You know, you have us talking about, yeah, you fill in the blank yourself six months ago. So we're still, I'm still thinking about it, obviously. So that, no. I didn't know it was, had been that long since you'd seen it, but we saw it in the theaters. Um, oh, okay. With our with some of our <laughs> before friends. the quarantine. Before the quarantine, that's yeah. right. Back in the day when we could go outside. Yeah, we did. Remember when, kids? <laughs> we lived the danger of going to a building with other people. Okay, well that's interesting. Uh, I didn't know that you were going to say that part of. I mean, all obviously all of that is kind of part of the same sequence, is part of the same scene uh, where the kid you know, throws the other guy out of the ring and then Shia LaBeouf gets hit over the head with a tire iron. But um, I didn't know you were going to say that part. I thought maybe you didn't like that Shia LaBeouf got hit over the head and then ends up in the hospital and then how that the rest of that plays out. So it's interesting to me. Now, I will say this. I will say I totally see your point. And I think that 
if they were going to have written that into the movie where the kid grabs the, the enormous guy and lifts him oh, over his head. he's massive. He's twice his size. But throughout the entire movie, there is this, this um, undercurrent of how strong this kid is, how powerful and how strong he is. And so that, that, it's not like a surprise that he was actually ended up doing it. There's, there's hints along the way. There's these there's a surprise that he's, that he's doing that. Plus, right. So he, mean, he was strong. Yeah. Sure. He lifts the guy over his head and then he does, but it, it doesn't look like it was incredibly difficult. Right. And it doesn't. And then he throws them and it is very fantasy like because the guy yeah. just kind of obviously is on a harness and, and, and that's right. okay to me, but I will agree with you. If I had directed that part of the movie, I would have made it look like it was more like it was more realistic. Like there was yes. some struggle to lift him and that when he threw him, it would have been a realistic distance. Maybe not even would, out of the ring. Right. Or he could have just hit him right, or something because he is strong, right? So he yeah. gives him an elbow to the head and it knocks him out and that's the he, end. Well, right. technically his elbow couldn't reach his head because the guy really is enormous. He was huge. But, yeah. um, Andre the Giant. So I thought you were going to say again that you didn't like the part where Shia LaBeouf got hit. So also, I would have done this differently, possibly. I would have made Shia LaBeouf die in the hospital. So when they're driving yeah. at the end of the movie where the girl and the, and the Down Syndrome guy are driving to Florida, and all of a sudden, like you realize that Shia LaBeouf is in the back seat of the car with his head bandaged up, it was almost like, right. oh, he made it. After, he did make it, after all. It was kind of a weird feeling because you do kind of are left with a feeling that before that – that he passed away, that he died in the hospital. Right. Because it looks like it It looks like they come out and talk and then you can see the people and they're sad. And yeah. Yeah. But uh, I still enjoyed it. And, and the movie does end right there. Like that, you know, that they're going to Florida, you know, that Shia LaBeouf has dreams of owning his own fishing boat down there and, and starting a business and yada, yada, yada. And you don't, and and so you're left with like your own fill in the blank. Like, did that happen? What happened? Did they just go down and visit? you know, what's going on. But, um, but there is a lot of really great things about that film. And mm-hmm. I think you mentioned those already. So anyway, yeah. the peanut butter Falcon. Um, again, if you watched it and liked okay. it, if you watched it and liked it, remember that you heard about it here on everyone else has a podcast. If you watched it and you hated it, which I think that's probably kind of where you're going to lie. I think you're either going to like it or you're not going to like it. I don't think it's, you know, I don't know. What, what was your final take on it? Where do you, where I do you, thought, I thought it was um, really interesting up until they broke me out of the suspension. Okay. So you made it a really long way. I mean, you made it until like the last 10 minutes of the movie until the, you yeah, really I really it. did. Yeah. But that's kind of like a, that's how the whole world works. Like you, you can be in a great movie that you're super enjoying and then the last minute really ruin it. And that can change the way you view the whole film and vice versa. And in this case I was having, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a journey. It's a self-discovery. It's a redemption story. So it's not one that you just sit down and let's watch this a bunch of times, but I enjoyed all the way to the point where it just got fantastical. And then from that point, everything was just like, why did you do that? Now the other people I was with, um, I was with uh, our friends, the Masons, David and Victoria, and Alice, and they all three liked it. 
So I'm clearly in the minority when it comes to that fantastical scene in the, you know, throw well, you're them out. Not, it's no surprise that you're in the minority, Scott. I know. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, thanks for listening to Everyone Else Has a Podcast with Scott and JD. And um, maybe someday you'll have a podcast too. See you next time. Oh my God.